I picked up a story in the news over the summer. I think it, it piqued my interest particularly because we were on holiday and we were by the sea, as many people were, with their stand-up paddle boards and whatever else they had going on this summer. And I saw this story of a young boy called Ravi Saini, who was on holiday with his family in Scarborough in Yorkshire, uh, by, the, by the beach, and was playing with his father in the sea. And he and his father went down to the water's edge and began to play in the waves and whatever else, just enjoying time together. And as they did that, uh, both Ravi and his father quite quickly ended up out of their depth, whether it was waves or whatever else, I don't know, but they were out of their depth. And uh, Ravi began to be afraid, and he sh- began to shout to his dad, Daddy, help! Daddy, help! And in that moment, and again, I don't know exactly why, but his father wasn't able to reach him. He couldn't get his boy, and he began to experience that most terrifying thing any parent, surely, would ever experience. Their child has been taken out of their reach, watching their child go. And in the next hour, Ravi was taken half a mile out to sea. He said this, he said it felt like five hours, and he described the feeling of panic as uh, waves would submerge him, and he said, I was under for what felt like 10 seconds at a time, and then I would come up to the surface and, and gather myself. He said, I, I began to shout, but uh, I lost my voice. Uh, my throat was so dry, I couldn't shout anymore. You can experience it almost as you hear the story, the panic that he must have felt as a seven-year-old boy, the same age as my son, but he made it. He survived. He was picked up. The, the lifeguards saw his red shirt bobbing on the waves, and they were able to come and get him after a period of time. How did he survive that experience in the depths, in the deep water? Well, Ravi had dutifully been watching a BBC documentary. Other broadcasters are available. But he was watching the BBC, and he saw a documentary in which the uh, RNLI introduced this Technique for deep water called the float to live technique. If I do nothing else for you today, if you cease to listen to me at this point, go home, learn the technique. It's on the internet, and here we have a picture of it. And in the technique, you basically spread your arms and your legs out and, uh, and do sort of a human starfish. And it also works if you're cold in a church. You can just start to do this, can't you? You can, you know, anyway, practice it at home. And he did that, and his natural buoyancy enabled him to float on the water. And rather than sort of losing energy, panicking, trying to use his own strength to survive, he allowed his natural buoyancy to help him. He was saved. He said this when the lifeguards picked him up. He said, they came to get me, and now I have a second chance to live. It's a powerful story, isn't it? If, if, it's, if you're like me, it fills you with panic and joy at the same time as you imagine what it might be like to experience something like that. And last week we spoke about Simon's experience of Jesus, his encounter with Jesus, and we said that Jesus asks him initially just to take a small step, just to make this small step of following him, and how sometimes these small steps with Jesus can have big implications for our lives. We can end up in places we didn't imagine because we just say yes to taking a small step with him. What we're going to see today is that though the journey of discipleship begins often with small steps, it never ends there. Jesus' vision for people following him is never just the small steps. But the small steps, though they're essential, they 
They're the doorway into the deeper obedience. What Jesus wants from his people is not just these small acts of obedience, significant though they are, but he wants to lead us into the depths. We've got to go with Jesus into the deep water. Not just remaining in the shallows, but into the deep water. That's where he wants to craft and fashion in his people the gifts that he has for them. And today we're going to look at Simon's example. Because for him to go where Jesus wants to take him, he has to be willing not just to go into the shallows, but to go with Jesus into the deep. And that means being taken out of his depth. And I think there's a lot of value for us as we look at this today. Here's what we read again. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Now, as we said last week, the context here is Jesus is teaching the word of God to the crowds, but the focus throughout isn't the crowd. And in this moment here, Jesus abandons teaching the crowds entirely. We hear nothing else of them. And he focuses on this one man, this one person who he's addressing, Simon. He has this moment, this personal encounter with him, and he calls him into a deeper relational connection with him in this moment. He already knows him. We read in chapter 4, didn't we, that Jesus has already healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. They've clearly been in each other's company. There's some kind of, ex- of relationship that exists. Maybe it's shallow. We don't know, but they're not yet. Simon certainly isn't yet a disciple. In this moment, through this encounter, Jesus wants to take Simon from friend to follower. From acquaintance to acolyte. To enable him to become somebody who follows Jesus with all of his life. As I said, to do that, he has to take him beyond his comfort zone. That's the only way in. And so he makes a request of him. And the request, as I said, goes beyond. It goes beyond what he asked of him last week. Or in our text last week. He actually asked it of him a couple thousand years ago. It is. It represents a huge acceleration of the intimacy of their relationship. This can happen in relationships, can't it? Uh, Amy and I lived in California for a few years. And uh, after we arrived, we spent some time with some dear friends of ours, the Moors. And uh, sort of an older, older than us couple, a bit of a sort of father and mother figure for us. And we asked them, you know, trying to get to know them. I already knew them quite well, or thought I did. Amy didn't know them so well, so we asked their story of how did you get together, you know? How long have you been married, and how did you get together? And he said, well, we met in a room. And in the moment of meeting, I, we knew, we both knew we'd get married. Six weeks later, we were married. They went from zero to marriage in six weeks. That is rare. I don't necessarily advise it. As your pastor, I don't necessarily advise it. They've got a very strong marriage, it has to be said. How do you get from that? How do you get through that? How do you get from, you know, through those gears in six weeks? I don't know. It took us a year. It takes longer than that for many people. But sometimes these catalytic moments can take us into relational depth beyond what we would expect. It doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. Have you ever met a friend, somebody, and you just meet them, and for the first time you say, oh, man, there's a click. There's a connection. And all of a sudden, you're out for coffee next week and you're sharing your whole life story. And you think, can I trust this person? Is this person safe? There's something in the relationship. There's something in the moment, in the mood, in, in the connection between you that enables you to, to give more of yourself, to go deep quickly. You've experienced that. This is one of those moments. It's catalytic. 
But the request that Jesus offers, or this is a request, it actually comes across really as a command. The command that Jesus has, which is kind of a request, is nonsensical. It doesn't make sense to Simon. It doesn't chime with his experience. It pushes him beyond his comfort zone for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it conflicts with his emotion. He says, Simon says, I love this. He's, he just says, you know, I, we've been up all night. I've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing. In other words, you can read between the lines and say, Simon is saying, look, I'm exhausted. And I'm disappointed. You know, maybe he's worried. Maybe, maybe his family, well, his family livelihood rests upon his ability to catch fish. I'm exhausted. I'm disappointed. Maybe I'm concerned. This isn't emotionally where he wants to go. Plus, He's just washed his nets. The last thing he needs right now is to fish. Because if he fishes, he has to go and wash his nets again. He probably wants a nap. Poor man. Jesus' request pushes, conflicts with his emotion. Secondly, it conflicts with his knowledge. He is an expert fisherman. And he would use these nets called trammel nets. And they were made of linen. And they'd be visible to fish. I don't know. How, How do I know what fish's eyesight is like? The scholars say they would be visible to fish in the daytime. They were for use at night. Secondly, fishing in the Sea of Galilee happened in the shallows, not in the depths. For Jesus to say to Simon, go and fish in the depths, is to say, do something that makes no sense of your expertise, that conflicts with your understanding of how life works. You see that Jesus is asking him to do something that makes no sense emotionally to him. It makes no sense of his knowledge base. And Simon, after all, is the expert. Jesus is the rabbi. He's good at Bible. We don't know if he's ever had an honest day's fishing in his life. For for both of these reasons, Simon will be well within his rights to refuse Jesus' request to push back against the command. But what we read is the reverse. He says this, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Can you hear any passive aggressive? (laughs) We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. There are different ways to say it. Oh, but listen to this. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets for a catch. Because you say so. Uh, You hear three things here if you're listening clearly. You hear obedience. You hear honesty. And you hear humility, the obedience. This word master, it literally means uh, one who stands over. Luke uses this word instead of the word rabbi, teacher. So one who stands over. Simon here is recognizing Jesus' authority in his life. And it's an authority which stretches beyond the merely religious sphere. You see, if Jesus is going to have authority for Simon, his authority has to be recognized in every direction and in every dimension. It's no no good Jesus just being your rabbi on Sunday morning. If Jesus isn't your master when you go to work on Monday, when you're out with the lads on Friday, then there's no use calling him your rabbi. Uh, He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Simon recognizes Jesus' authority in all dimensions. But notice he doesn't, I love the honesty, he doesn't fake it, he doesn't pretend. Your pretense is no use to God. 
He says, we've worked hard all night. This refers to wearisome work. One scholar says they'd worked to the bone but had caught nothing. Simon's just willing to admit it to Jesus. Look, I'm really struggling. And again, a spirituality that's not rooted in honesty is no good in a time of testing. In a time where depth is demanded, we have to be deeply honest with Jesus. But also it's couched in humility. But because you say so. What we see here is Peter not responding to the quality of the request. It's not really a very good request. But to the authority of the one making the request. He's not saying, you know what Jesus, I just wonder if you're onto something. My father, he was a fisherman, my father's father also a fisherman, my father's father's father also a fisherman. I wonder if they ever thought, as you have, of trying these visible nets in the day, in the deep. Maybe you're onto something. That, that isn't what he's doing. He's recognizing, honestly recognizing the absurdity of what Jesus is saying and saying, look, Jesus, this seems like a terrible idea to me, but I'm going to give it a go because it's you asking. Can you make the connection yet? Do you feel a bit like Peter? Have you felt, maybe in the last six months, it's a little bit like Peter? Have you felt the emotional exhaustion of what, what we're all going through together? Maybe you feel deeply disappointed in these days. Maybe coupled with a pandemic, maybe you're experiencing grief, loss, change, pain, difficulty. Maybe you felt disappointed, fearful, anxious, isolated, sad, hurt, skeptical. If you're honest, maybe even a little bit cynical. Perhaps you found that even maintaining faith at all has been challenging in these days. To be invited into the deep water of discipleship means facing up to the reality of what's happening in our emotional world. Not living in denial of it. But it also means not giving our emotions a greater level of authority in our lives than we do Jesus. To be a Christian is to recognize the reality of emotional life. And also to say, yes, that's with me, that's in me. But it's not the most real thing in my life. I am experiencing doubt. I am experiencing pain. And yet there is someone more real and more true than those things. Maybe you're like Simon. You, you see that the request Jesus is making of you conflict with your knowledge. Maybe you say, well, I've always understood that God would operate in a certain way in my life. And here I find him operating in a different way. I have a spirituality that says, well, my life's going to be comfortable And actually, this hasn't been comfortable at all. We've all grown up in a secular environment, to a greater or lesser degree. And in that environment, faith seems incredible. Not credible. It's all too easy, it's all too easy for us to become skeptics and cynics. And everything that God says, everything the scripture says, everything our Christian parents or brothers and sisters say, we can sort of pass through that, uh, what Paul Ricoeur, a philosopher, called the hermeneutic of suspicion, a framework of suspicion and criticism, so much so that by the time the word of God comes to us, we've watered it down so much we'd never obey it. 
That's the water we all swim in. Or maybe, uh, maybe we've swum in the water of shallow spirituality which has no place for difficulty, no place for suffering, no place even for doubt. And so when those things come to us, we find it difficult to know how to navigate those deeper waters. Many of us may have a vision of faith that has little room for doubt, little room for suffering, little room for difficulty. Rather than seeing them as part of the spiritual life, when we experience them, we want to push them away. But what if those things are being sent and allowed in order to take us deeper, in order to grow us in the things of God? There are times in our lives when every one of us will experience what it's like to be out of our comfort zone. And God will allow that. And there are times like this one when we'll all experience that at the same time. (laughs) In one. In one moment. And if we don't have a vision of a journey with Jesus where he's always asking us to go deeper. He's always taking us deeper. He's never content to keep us in the shallows. Then when those moments come, we'll thrash around on the surface, desperately trying to resist his work in our lives. We will become shocked by the coldness of the water. We'll become exhausted and in danger of drowning. But what if this is a moment when we're being called deeper? What if this is a moment not to lose faith, but to allow him to deepen it in us? What if what God wants is the fruit of this season for his church is a deepened trust, a deepened hope, a deepened confidence, deepened prayer life, deepened compassion. This is what my journey has been in the last few months. I have found these last six, seven, eight months, years, is it? I don't know. So difficult in so many ways. It's been the biggest leadership challenge we've ever faced. We've had moments, most days we've looked at each other and said, I don't know what to do. Don't know. What's the next move? I've got no idea. No idea. But that's not, it's not been, unfortunately, <laughs> I would say unfortunately, something I've been able to keep in sort of the leadership sphere. Actually, I've found it personally very, very difficult. Emotionally, yes, for sure. But actually... Even more close to home than that, my relationship with God has been challenged. I've experienced a challenge in my prayer life. How to connect with God, how to experience his presence with me. It's been really difficult. I've experienced more doubt in this season than ever before, certainly since my early 20s. It has been deeply challenging. I have not enjoyed it. I'm not necessarily saying I'm through it. But what I have recognized God doing in it is deepening my trust. I will say this, I'm praying entirely differently now to how I was at the beginning of lockdown. I'm trying far less hard, and I'm spending much more time in his presence. I will say this, I'm enjoying it much more, though it's much, much harder. And I'm grateful for the challenge. I'm grateful even for the doubt, because the confidence and the trust is deeper. I hope God doesn't leave me here. (laughs) I don't want to stay out here forever. I'd really love a rescue at some stage. At least just to have just a few moments on the lifeboat. You know. (laughs) But God is doing this in my life. I just wonder if he's not just doing this for me. I wonder if this is what he's doing among many of us. 
If we're going to navigate this season, if we're going to make the transition into the deeper water, which after all is where he wants us all to live, how do we do it? We need to learn to float to survive. Blurring the metaphor here. Are we on the boat or are we off the boat? At the moment, we're off it. With Ravi, not on it with Simon. If we're being taken into the deeper water, the only way to survive is to, be lear- is to learn how to be held by the water. We can't manage in the deep water with our own efforts for very long at all. If you're experiencing exhaustion in your prayer life, consider asking if God wants you to pray in a different way. This posture of locating a deeper trust and surrender, we have the image on the screen now. This is a posture which says, Master, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Master, because you say so, I'll trust that even if I stop trying to make myself float, you will keep me buoyant. When we learn to surrender to God and to what he's doing in our lives, it's then that we can learn to thrive in the deep water and even experience it as joy. But to get there means trusting in God more than ever before. Trusting in him more than we trust in our emotions. More than we trust in our knowledge. More than we trust in our feelings of safety and our desire and need for control. It means learning to trust in a God who never promises a life in the safety of the shallows. But always, always said it was an adventure in the deep. And who knows his way through the deep. Because he himself was plunged into the depths. Even the depths of human life and human death. And he was raised from the grave. Into newness of life for us. So that we might know that whatever journey, whatever depths he takes us to, he will be with us. Amen.